Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast at the Rectory. I'm Ian. I'm Katie. And I'm Emily. We are three friends who at some point or another all lived in a tiny blue house in Cincinnati that we have affectionately named the Rectory. And together, we have filled it with... Memories. Long hours of PhD work. Parties. And a saggy three-legged couch we just can't seem to part with. I like that. Musical sting. <laughs> well, can I do um, an introduction of Megan? Yeah. Well, um, Megan, I was trying really hard to think about how to introduce you. Um, and what I decided was that when when I think of you, what I think of is a woman with a lot of time on her hands. Uh, a woman on a uh, fancy divan with, you know, a powdered wig and and a box of bonbons and maybe visiting her tiny rustic replica village in the back of her, her summer palace. And then I realized, no, Katie, no, no, that's Marie Antoinette. That's not Megan Trishler. <laughs> you live in Cincinnati and you have not met Megan Trishler is because you are not trying hard enough. This lady is going 100 miles an hour every day of the year. She uh, went to art school in Michigan. There's Michigan comes back up again. She's worked in urban development. Uh, she worked for People's Liberty, which recently wrapped up. But you were with them for six years, Megan, seven years? Yep. Since the beginning, yep. <clears throat> yep, for six years. And she is now in training, although that seems ridiculous to say, Megan, because you are a spiritual director mm. um, and is very, very involved in um, counseling and walking with uh, people through their life decisions. And uh, I'm very happy to say that she is a friend of mine. So listeners of At The Rectory, this is Megan Trishler. Oh, thank you, Katie. Such a warm welcome. <laughs> and the most beautiful haircut in Cincinnati. That's <laughs> I needed this laugh today, y'all. This is great already. <laughs> is there anything that I've left out of your... Can you get any more specific on your credentials? I feel like I was a little bit um, oh. general on some of these because I, I know your story, but sometimes the little details will fall through the cracks of my mind. Oh, yeah, oh, I appreciate that. No, that was pretty good, Katie. I um, Yeah, I did go to... I went to design school, so my background is actually in graphic design. That's what I studied but I was always interested, even as a student, I was really interested in really how design can positively impact people and places. And I've always sort of had a heart for kind of um, cities, really, kind of urban centers and um, actually sort of small Midwestern cities is kind of where I've gravitated. Um, so, yeah, I, I spent most of my, you know, 20s and early 30s doing um, community development work and working in neighborhoods and alongside people who want to, you know, bring more beauty and peace and justice to our um, to our cities and the places that we live. And then it was really just a couple years ago that I started to feel a different sort of invitation or call to, um, yeah, to focus more on sort of the spiritual life. And so that's sort of the journey that I've uh, that I've been on the past 18 months, almost two years, trying to understand what that means. <laughs> so a bit of a vocational shift for me. Um, but it's all it's all been very connected, and in a lot of ways, I've been walking with people as they develop projects in the world and in cities. And now I feel like I'm walking with people more, kind of on an interior journey, 
and helping them pay attention to what maybe God's up to and what's happening inside them. So it's been good. It's just the most delightful thing ever. I can't imagine how lovely it is to have you as a spiritual director. When I think of you, I think peacemaker. Oh. Mm. And not the naive let's just pack everything away that's messy and make it all nice, peacemaker. But someone who does, like, sit with you in the stuff and then, like, calls you forward. Deeply blesses me. Thank you for for saying that. I, I feel that. I feel like I'm often put in places where I'm sort of trying to kind of hold hold the hold two things together and hold two things in tension with others, not for anybody, but with other people. And, um, you know, to, to try to, to sit in those places, really, because it's sitting, sometimes it's just sitting in the unknown or sitting in the unresolved long enough to pay attention. To, to do that, I'm learning. I mean, it's, it's stretching. Um, you know, it's stretching also because I'm quite introverted. And so it, t- it does take a lot of capacity to really, you know, so much of spiritual direction, like the main sort of modalities of spiritual direction, is essentially it's prayer, it's um, deep listening, and it's question asking, which are all things I love to do, um, which is good. But the deep listening, like I find that that really takes a lot of energy. So I think I'm learning how to kind of step into that more, and also in a way hopefully that's healthy and sustainable for me too. So, But thank you for saying that. That's really, that's really lovely. So Megan, can you talk to us a little bit about how training in um, the arts and design mm-hmm. figure into thinking about um, holistic cities and uh, um, healthy, thriving living in community? Yeah, thank you. I can try. Um, I think, like I was sort of saying, I think for me design has really always been about how do you bring together disjointed or fragmented parts in a way that begins to make cohesion and make them make sense. And, you know, oftentimes you can engage with design, I guess, in a lot of different ways. But for me, I was always most challenged and excited by the idea of taking something very complex and walking it through a process to get to something much simpler that hopefully then communicates with clarity and so that's sort of how I began, you know, I think as a designer and what I was really interested in. And then when you take that process and sort of um, expand that out to like, what does that mean then when you're working with people? And what does that mean when you're working in communities? And how are you sort of taking groups of people or working with people to again kind of tackle complex things, try to make them simpler so that people can get around them and, and have hold something in common? Um, and so I think that for, um, yeah, so I think that's kind of how I've always sort of practiced design. And so I guess when it comes to peacemaking, I mean, that's really what we're trying to do is to sort of say, like, look, we're all coming at this from a very different angle and a very different perspective. That is okay. And at the same time, if we're going to have movement, if we're going to work together on something, we have to somehow develop some common language and some commonality, and we have to get around this and each understand our part to play. And so I think that's kind of, that's sort of the jump for me is that um, to me it all feels like design. And I think in fact to have, to hold space well where healthy conversation can happen and hopefully peace can start to kind of emerge, I think it has to be designed. I think you have to do that with great intention. You don't just put a bunch of people in a room and say, okay, figure it out, you know. The questions matter. 
who asked the questions matter, how their ask matters, um, all of that matters. So yeah, to me it's all design, but, um, but that's sort of the correlation I would see. I just want to say that I appreciate what you're talking about of like looking at a complex thing and then breaking it down and those simple parts. Because I think a lot of people do things with good intentions. So they like create this space in the community, but they haven't really interrogated who their community is, what their community needs, what are the barriers for people from that community engaging with the space that you made. And then they like <laughs> collect like white college students and they're like what that's not what we were trying to do but it's not on purpose exclusion it's just ignorance yeah. and again you've made you've made the 1500th space for white college students and you have not negotiated how to make a space for um, you know people of color in their community single moms with children like you haven't yeah. <laughs> you missed yeah. it yeah, and I think that gets back to me, like, just because we can design something doesn't mean we should, you know, and I think there is a lot of, it is a lot of good intention, um, but that interrogation that's required, I would say up front, before anything even starts, I mean, I think that takes a significant amount of patience, and I think it's work, you know, so I get why people are like, we can skip that, let's just make the stuff, well, I've got a great idea, you know. But the ideas are the easy part, right? Like those are those are those are cheap. Ideas are cheap. The actual work that it takes to go from like I just simple idea to actually implementation of something that's whole and hopefully effective takes a lot of diligence and takes a lot of like step by step by step. And I think what I've learned in all that work is that you can have the best schematic, like the best plan that you could ever design. And once you start, when it's people, when it's community, get ready to adapt, get ready to evolve. And so I think in some ways, back to your original question, Katie, like maybe, I'm just putting this together now, like maybe that ability or like wanting to cultivate an ability to kind of sit with people in that kind of liminal time or in that kind of in-between space in unknowing is just because that's sort of what you're doing in design. You have a, a general sense of direction, but you know, it might be a whole lot of loops and zigzags before you get there, and how, how are you going to be okay in the meantime and not let that derail you, you know? And that's life, <laughs> you know? Isn't that what life is? It's just a bunch of zigzags and loops and like, oh, didn't expect to get here. How am I going to be okay being here even though it's not what I expected or it hasn't looked like what I thought, you know? Or it's not what I'm taught my path will be. I'm taught my path will be. A highway, <laughs> right? Super fast. My goal and destination, and then when I start spinning off into these places, I feel like a failure. I feel like mm. I'm not in any capacity reaching my goal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It turns into a highway to the danger zone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so much of that too is like, and I'm not good at this, what I'm about to say, but like holding failure as just learning. You know, we hear that all the time. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that's part of something to cultivate too, is like, how do you hold it truly as like, well, this is just something I learned, okay, as opposed to getting totally derailed by it, which I can be tempted to, to do. You know, Megan, you met a very famous um, <laughs> spiritual 
director <laughs> yes. with whom you have developed something of a relationship. I don't know if you, if that's something you feel like talking about on a recording. Sure. But I that agree. kind of relationship that you're yeah. talking about is something that this woman has really kind of become known for. And that I think from what you've told me about it that she's done with you a little bit. Yeah, thank you for yeah mentioning that. I, I'll make a long story shorter, which is simply I was going on a retreat, like I think at the end of 2017, and I ended up sitting next to, on the bus to go from like LaGuardia Airport out to rural Vermont or wherever we were going, um, mm -hmm. I ended up sitting next, it's all like millennial age, you know, um, folks, different kind of interfaith sort of thing, and I sit next to this very old woman, um, and we get to talking, and she's, you know, she lives in Toronto, and I'm just kind of piecing things together. And turns out she was best friends with Henry Nowen, um, the, you know, the like beloved priest, Catholic writer, spiritual director of all things. And her name's Sue Mosteller, and you'll see in a lot of his books he talks about her and dedicates things to her. And like Henry Nowen has been a very formative, like in terms of spiritual teachers who like you're saying, Emily, like, you know, I think it's through books and podcasts and other things. We can be guided, you know, with people that we don't even know. And Henry Nowen has been that for me. I think just the way, again, he makes really complex things quite simple. And so I'm sitting next to Sue, and we kind of struck up a bit of a friendship over the course of this weekend. And I had just felt compelled. I don't have many elders in my life. In fact, very, very few. And I felt compelled to just kind of write to her every once in a while. And so we write letters back and forth. Um, it's been a little while since we've we've connected, but I think um, she was somebody, she is somebody that is like out of my immediate context who doesn't know a whole lot about me, but can just like hold the mess and the mystery really well and like speak wisdom into it. And I feel like, gosh, it's a gift. It's like a real, real, yeah, precious thing. Um, so yeah. I find also, I'm a part of a group called Nuns and Nuns. N-U-N-S and N-O-N-E-S, nuns meaning... This is great. Yeah, how a lot of millennials are identifying, like no longer claiming a particular faith tradition, so they're a nun, you know. But uh, what, what these folks have found, some folks who started this kind of movement a few years ago, nuns and nuns, is that sisters, women religious, hold a lot of values, or I should say millennials, millennial activists and sort of change maker types hold a lot of values um, in common with a lot of women religious and sisters in particular. And so these groups are meeting all over the country, old sisters, young millennials, and just finding camaraderie and like this shared sacred space. And so yeah, we meet here once a month. And again, those are the type of women, I think, people who just, they know how to like hold the mess really well and not be kind of um, overwhelmed by it. You know, they can just hold it well. And one thing Sue said to me that I'll never forget, she said, I asked her, I said, Sue, you know, here we are at this like interfaith gathering. We got people from all different traditions and beliefs, some some with maybe no faith tradition. And I said, you're, you're deeply Catholic. So like, how do you, but you're engaging so well with all of these young people. Like, what's your, how do you do that? You know, and she just said, for me, I have to deeply know who I am. And that allows me to have an expansiveness and make room for all kinds of people. So it's, it's nobody can touch my inner authority, she said. And if I can hold on to that, i got room all day for all your different beliefs and all your different views. And I just think, like, again, how beautiful, because it's to sort of say, like, I'm not trying to change you. 
I'm just trying to like to create real hospitality and welcome. It does require that I do know who I am, um, but to be able to have that kind of expansive posture, I just felt like, oh, such wisdom. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? That is so wonderful. And you know, Megan, a couple weeks ago when it was just us on the podcast, one of our ideas of what we were going to talk about was that we've all recently had birthdays, and that includes you actually. Okay. And we were just thinking about talking about aging. But a thing that we keep like referencing that oh there's my dog scratching and his his collar's gone. <laughs> that I feel like in Christian writing and in like women's like popular women's lit, we keep putting on the agenda that we want to value aging and we've never quite gotten to it. It's like that corner we've in our house we've never dusted, we've never moved that bookcase to vacuum. Um, but when you encounter someone who has come to deeply know themselves and therefore out of that has grown a really productive, thriving, healing hospitality, you suddenly understand what we are missing in a youth-obsessed culture. Yes. I remember being very young and probably before the age where I was encountering a lot of direct um, messaging about how women ought to be and how they ought to look, how beautiful I found my Nana and some of these older ladies, and I think it was largely because they were so kind to me and how I felt around them. And so in my mind, in my brain, they were beautiful. I would run my fingers over the backs of my Nana's hands, and I thought how gorgeous they were with all those, like, peaks and valleys because you know the collagen had disintegrated under her skin so you could see all the details of her hand and I thought oh I can't wait until I have that but you know now if I read like I don't know I, you know women's X whatever magazine it's gonna tell me how to keep that from happening but as a five-year-old my adoration of my Nana meant that I found this about her to be fascinating and beautiful yeah, that's beautiful. You grow up, and then I think there's like a kind of return to childlikeness that you can see in people who um, who are older, who are our elders, and that's something I'm trying to pay attention to as well. Like, what's that about? I don't know. It's a childlikeness that I really admire. Um, maybe a right perspective on living, um, having lived. <laughs> Everything's held a little looser, you know, or... Mm -hmm just with a little bit more um, buoyancy or something. Um, and Megan, in all that you've been saying, in this lovely, what is it, women religious. Yes. I love that phrase. Sisters, that's women a, religious. I love it. Um, I, wonder, I wonder what you think of patriarchy in religion. And, well, a cousin of mine, and he kind of came at me with, this real high theology language and my first instinct was to like high theology language him back like Google stuff and like find the fanciest word I could and then like shoot it right back at him and over the course of our conversation I found myself I found myself releasing that desire that desire to speak back to him in the big words it's like when I was in undergrad there was that debate with like Bill Nye and like what's his face Oh yeah, the famous creationist was that the guy that built the art? Ken Ham, I think was it Ken Ham? Yeah, that guy? I don't know. It was like two guys, and me and all the other design students were just like, "Why is this what we're spending energy creating? Is this debate 
and there's a particular well there's particular questions that are valued and there are particular answers that are valued in that kind of talk mm -hmm. like you enter that arena and it's it's I would argue it's patriarchy and this yes. is the way we talk and answer right yeah and I think so much of what we have all shared is a fluidity a slipperiness that yeah. there's energy there do you find yourself calling your the people you walk alongside to another possible way of being in the world, maybe. Sometimes, like, I'm deeply interested, like, if you can move the conversation out of that kind of, um, where it's just knowledge and just debate, and get into, like, what's the person feeling. So I would want to say, you know, ask of your, is it your cousin there? Like, I would want to ask, like, help me understand why this matters to you. Why is this important to you? And see if you can't draw some story, you know, and, like, maybe there is some deep connection that he's, like, I need to tell you why this matters to me. And I think that starts to bring a, a, about some kind of connection. Um, and if you've got a great person who is also open to that kind of, ex, that kind of um, peacemaking posture, hopefully they would say, tell me why it matters to you. Or maybe you get a chance to say, let me tell you why this matters to me. Um, so I don't know. I find that sometimes that's one way to kind of diffuse when people want to go to debate, just to be like, Help me just, let me just, let's look at each other as humans, you know. Um, but your other question, like in terms of spiritual direction, and I do think that maybe that's why I've gravitated to spiritual direction, because it's outside of institutional church. Most people who are coming to direction, I would say, are in a place, usually they're in midlife, but not always. They're generally going through some kind of faith deconstruction or reconstruction. They might be going through some kind of major life transition. Something new is trying to be born in them, and they need sort of a midwife to kind of help that happen. Or the faith of their past or of their childhood has left them wanting. Prayer has dried up. They no longer experience God the way that they used to, and they think something's wrong with them. And what we try to sit there and do is say, nothing is wrong with you. What if this is an invitation to a deeper and new level of faith? Um, let's hold that possibility and see what God's up to. And so I think in spiritual direction, it's like those questions don't even matter. The question is, who are you in relation to who God is and what's God up to in your life? And I think that involves a much more expansive view. Um, and so to your point, um, Anne, I think it's like sitting with people in that really expansive space is a joy going into settings where we have to somehow put God in a box, I'm running the other direction. <laughs> I think we all probably are. And that's not to say I don't value really good sound theology and really strong scriptural teaching. It's just that um, I think sometimes we, we need to hold it all a little bit looser and really say, like, mm -hmm. like pay attention to, like, spirit. Where is, like... Where is yeah. spirit moving? And, and that isn't just an intellectual exercise. You know, that requires some deep sitting and stillness and waiting and paying attention. And so I think those gifts, those, those perceptive gifts, those prophetic gifts, um, those are just as important to me as somebody's theological, you know, understanding. And I, wanna, I want, particularly for women, I would love for us to honor that more in our sisters to say, like, mm. you might not be able to sit up there on the pulpit, but you have a sensitivity to spirit, my friend, and let's pay attention to that, you know? Yeah, and I think it, it's somehow holding, like, 
the intention of the person, like in that case you, like the intention is like, how am I, how do I be more concerned with just being right with one another as opposed to someone being right? And I think we're just obviously in such a politically charged and divided day and season. We're just all so concerned with being right. You know, we're all guilty of it. But like, what would it look like if we were more concerned with like, I just want to be right with you as somebody who is an image bearer, made in the in the image of God. I see that in you. I want to be right with you. I don't maybe don't have to like you. I might not even agree with you, but I see that in you and I honor it. I'm sure it's so freeing for men and women to enter into spiritual direction and have some of the we kind of come in with our blinders on and the expectations of society that we've kind of wrangled ourselves into for the day and for you yeah. to say what is God up to here? God yeah. can be up to maybe a lot more than you think. <laughs> there might be yeah. a lot more room. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to witness. We some, I sometimes say I'm, we're just dusting for God's fingerprints sort of on your life, on your day. And mm. when when it when there's a moment where somebody has that beautiful recognition, it's it's like a, it's a beautiful thing to witness, you know. It's yeah, it's good. <laughs> are you with a company or are you with like how 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 does this work, Megan? Yeah, I'm being trained by an organization that's actually here in Cincinnati called Sustainable Faith. Um, there are and they train directors all over the country. There's a lot of different. You can you know you can go to um, university or seminary to get training in, in spiritual direction. You can. There's a lot of different programs. And then yeah, you you start kind of practicing. So right now I'm just I'm just an individual. So I meet with people one on one. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be just a a 60-minute spiritual direction session, I can find, like, just, yeah, ways in conversation to kind of integrate some of it. Um, but, yeah, just so just me for now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just in my second year of, of training, so we'll see where it's going to go. It feels like it's it's what I'm meant to do. I don't yet know what that needs to look like, but it feels like it's I found what I'm meant to do in some way. So... I know that you're getting official training, but also really in the way that you live your life and interact with the people in your life, you're just doing spiritual direction until it becomes something that looks more official, you know? Like, right, totally. Um, people don't know what I'm up to, but I'm just spiritual directing all day long. <laughs> <laughs> until it, until you become, you know, someone writes about you in the introduction to all of their books as their Sumastel. <laughs> I can only hope. Thank you, Katie. That's so nice. Yeah, I, I really feel that. I think it's we're all in this process of becoming all the time. And I think in spiritual direction, it's just a it's just a soul friendship where someone's just helping you pay attention to what God's doing and who you're becoming. And I would long for everybody to have that kind of relationship. It's like, yeah, soul companionship. Um, it's different than a pastor, it's different than a counselor. It's someone to really hold, like you've been saying, Emily, hold some of those questions, and yeah, so anyway, but thank you, Katie, I, I, I feel very seen <laughs> when you say that, so I appreciate it, I'm trying, one foot after the other, one day at a time, you know, too fun. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Well, guys, it's 8.30, and I'll tell you a secret about Megan is that at 9 o'clock, she turns into a pumpkin, so if you have, you'll see, you'll see it happen on screen, there are like little... Little mice coachman and everything. Um, yeah. So if you have burning questions, you need to ask them now while she's still got some gas in the tank. Could we do our, our wrap-up question of what is giving you life this week? It was a particularly charged week. But how are you 
taking care of yourself or what's making you laugh or... This has given me life. I have had a, the past couple of days, I have not laughed as much as I've laughed in the past hour. So I really appreciate that. I think <laughs> laughter is such medicine, isn't it? And um, we take ourselves so seriously, at least I do. So this is giving <laughs> me life. You know, I, I there's some just really, I guess, related. There's some really, like, precious women in my life that um, I've had a chance to just walk with and talk with and just share stories and hear stories, and that's been really good. Just friend friendship. Can, can I say that as my answer? Like, true friendship has been a real blessing. What about you that's all? wonderful. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Megan, you, you flipped it on us too quickly. Oh. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we do here. I didn't get the right um. <laughs> Oh, no, you've done it from the beginning, oh. wow. <laughs> which is wonderful. No, it's a good skill. Emily, do right. you have something? I've been trolling on people a lot on Facebook lately. It's been really great. But only on, like, hateful, bigoted people. So it's fine. But I really enjoy it. I'm enjoying expressing myself. And you, like, make friends doing it. I do. I've made two new friends this week <laughs> through confronting bigots. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> well, well, guys, I haven't done so really fun to share. <gasps> oh, yeah, go yeah. <laughs> Wait, and did you even really share anything, or were you just like, IDK yet? Well, that was too fast. I don't <sighs> want Megan to turn into a pumpkin, so I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll yield my minutes to the lady in blue, which is Katie. Um, I was going to say that Emily and I have found a new, um, well, it's new to us, a, a sitcom on Netflix that was on Australian television from, like, 2002 to 2007, and it's called Kath and Kim. And Emily does this epic imitation of the, one of the main characters. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Do it, Emily. Do it. I'm not going to do it. It, like, doesn't even make any sense out of the context, but it barely makes any sense when they do it on the show. So the main characters are a mom and a daughter, and when the mom wants to make a point to her daughter, she goes like, "Kimmy, hey, Kimmy, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me," and then eventually her daughter Kim will turn to her like, you know. But like this is like a like like a boomer mom, so she's in like her fifties, and her daughter is in her like late twenties. You'll know yep. it when you see it. Okay, I'm going to look that up. I need a good new sitcom. Yeah, it's on That's Netflix. Great. All right, Megan. We'll say thank goodnight there. Thank Sounds you so good. much. Yeah, thank you all for the invitation. What a gift. You guys have a good night. Bye.